Thank you. Yes, yeah, so uh, talking about farmers and looking after sheep, uh, I'd like to read from Philippians chapter 2, and we should pray before we get going. Father, we just want to thank you tonight that we can be together. We thank you for your word. We pray that you'll bless it to our hearts and uh, give us understanding and help us to be able to put into practice the things that we hear from your word so that we will not be just hearers of the word but doers also. And uh, we thank you for those who are here tonight. We thank you for uh, those who were out this morning. We pray that the message of the importance of following you and of being ready to sow the seed and uh, to seek fruit for, your, for the labors, we just pray that these things may uh, be in the hearts of each one. So as we look into the word today, we seek your guidance, your help, your blessing. It all may be to the honor and glory of our Lord Jesus, for we ask it in his name. Amen. So if you could turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, just a few verses there that I'd like to look at and uh, try and relate this to something that we were discussing this morning also, just to uh, keep the theme of the sowing of the seed, of uh, being ready to do what the Lord wants us to do. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So we're going to think a little bit about the importance of farming and uh, the things that are involved in that. And the, the basis of, of that thought comes out of the words in, the, in this portion working out your salvation working out your salvation of course some people uh, tend to use that in some denominations I won't mention which ones but they, may, they say that this is part of how we get to heaven by working out our salvation and doing things by good deeds uh, everything will be weighed in the balances and eventually God will see that we've done more or less the things pretty well uh, and the bad things well uh, you know uh, hopefully we'll have more good things than bad things and so that's how we'll be received. But that's not talking about that at all. And the idea, of course, is uh, uh, that we are, are working in the field of the Lord. Now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. So what does he actually mean here? The idea is to catch uh, the thought of a, a farmer. What does a farmer do? He's got a, a plot of land, maybe how many acres, depends on how much money he's got and the crops, whatever crops he's deciding to use that year. But what does he have to do in order to gain a harvest? He has to prepare, first of all, the soil. He has to uh, do a lot of work getting rid of weeds. He has to do a lot of work in, in irrigating and all of those sorts of things. And in the same way and in the, with the same sense, we have salvation. That is something that we have. Are we using that salvation which we have for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus? Take what you all have, have already received, that's our salvation, and make it bear fruit. The farmer needs to sow the seed, tend the soil, get rid of the weeds, prune the vines, 
as he prepares for a harvest. And so as we think about uh, what we are doing as a, an individual or as a local assembly, are we working the fields? Are we truly doing what a farmer would do as he considers the crop that he expects to see? Now we can plan and do a lot of things in our own strength and our own way. But as we were seeing this morning, for example, uh, it's not necessarily what we plan to do ourselves, but what is the Lord ready to do through us as we present our bodies as living sacrifices, ready to do what he wants us to do, reje rejecting the things that are obstacles in our lives. So as it says in Romans 12 to, in this way we will get to know the will of God. And uh, how, how do we know what God's will is in the things that we're doing or the things that we should be doing or could be doing? Well, we need to, first of all, present ourselves to him as those who are ready and willing to do whatever work he wants us to do. And also, as we mentioned this morning, we need to show that we are available. You know, God uh, wants us to be available. He wants to use people. And he, he's always used people down through the ages, different people. But what sort of people did he use? Those who were available, those who were consecrated to serve him, those who wanted to honor him, those who wanted to work for him, and those that were prepared to sow the seed in whatever way God put this work before them. And then there were harvests at different times down through the history of the church. There were times of revival when many people were being saved. I believe at the moment in Colombia, in certain areas, example, for example, uh, there is a, a revival that is going on, uh, not only with what Yorley is doing, but in many of the congregations, we see many people coming to love the Lord and follow the Lord. So uh, it's not necessarily what we plan to do, but by being available and ready to do what he shows us what we need to do when he sets something up before us. We need to be available and, and do what is necessary. We need to get rid of the weeds, uh, the weeds in our lives, in our hearts, things that might be impediments, laying aside every weight, as it says in, in, in uh, in um, Hebrews 12. Uh, I get mixed up with Romans 12 sometimes. Two 12 chapters are very good chapters. So uh, as we prune the vines, as we get rid of and get rid of the things that are obstacles and difficult in our lives, obstacles to what the Lord may want to do in us, then he is able to begin to use us. Timothy 2.6 says, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Have you ever thought that through? You know, we, we talk about these examples that Paul gives there in Timothy. But what it means is that we should be looking toward a harvest. And uh, if we're not looking toward a harvest of seeing things happen, we're not, doing, we're not doing things the way God would have us to do them. We need to come and, and do those preparatory things and show ourselves available, getting rid of the weeds, getting rid of the things that are impediments to God using and working through us. Uh, so that there can be a harvest. And then as we allow him to do his work in us and through us, then we can expect to see a harvest of souls or of growth in our local church. Whatever it might be, God is just waiting for us to do what he wants us to do. Uh, the next point here is God is at work in us. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, that's why we need to be available because God wants to work in us and through us. 
That's the important thing. We can only do this work because God is at work in us. So we need to allow him to do what he needs to do in our lives. And uh, as he makes, a, makes known to our minds and our hearts the things that may be impediments to his being able to use us, then uh, we, we're able to be uh, usable by God when he wants to do something very important. To will means to desire his will and purpose. Do we have a real desire to serve the Lord? Do we have a real desire to be fruitful? Do we have a real desire to reach out to the lost? We need to have that desire, otherwise we're just going along in a routine way of life, a routine Christian experience. And, uh, you know, we need to be coming to church every week. We need to be coming to the meetings. We need to be reading our Bibles every day. We need to be praying every day. But if it's just a routine, uh, is God really able to come and do what he wants to do in us? And so um, uh, to will means to desire his will and purpose. And to work results in accomplishment. Why? Because it's his work. It's his work, and he wants to do it through people who are willing, people who are ready and desiring to do his will and to do his work while we are here in this world. To will, while people make their own decisions for which they are responsible, God is sovereignly in control, causing even our mistakes to work to his purpose. Now, you know, we can, uh, it's good we have times with the Lord, we read the word, and, and we're examining our hearts, and we're trying to put things in order in our lives. And then we make a decision to do something that doesn't work out. Is that a problem? Well, not necessarily. At least we're showing God that we're available and we want and we're ready to do things. And God is even to, able to make, from our mistakes and our blundering, he's able to do things that will be to his glory and will bring about a harvest of souls. Now, a good example is, uh, is uh, Joseph. You remember when he was uh, captured by his brothers, put in a hole, and then sold off into slavery into Egypt. And uh, then he's down there, and, and we remember all that happened to Joseph. He, he, he could have been complaining and, and grumbling about everything. Why is it that my family turned against me? Why am I down here as a slave working in Potiphar's house? Why is this woman bothering me every day? And why am I now sitting in jail for a number of years because of the lies of that woman? I mean, you can imagine the thoughts that he could have been having, but we see that he became uh, a man who was very important to the, to the jailer. Why? Because his attitude was right. And he was able to see that God was doing something. He didn't know what, but he was able to say, God wants me here for some purpose, and so I will administer to this jailer and do the things that he wants me to do, and the jailer left things in his hands. Why? Because he was a person who was respectable, a person that he... He was ready to do whatever was necessary, and uh, he was honest, he had integrity and all of those things, and these are some of the attitudes and, and attributes that we should have as we seek to put ourselves before the Lord. And then, you remember what happened when, um, uh, when his brothers came, and he finally was able to show them that he was the brother that they had sold. Now, he was in a position to really wreak a lot of havoc in their lives. He could have taken them to the woodshed, if you like, or whatever it might have been, he could have had them all in jail. He could have made them all slaves. But you know what? He, what did he say? He could say, you intended to harm me. You intended to harm me. These, these were bad things that happened. This wasn't something I planned. This is what, not the way I would have planned my life to be. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good 
to accomplish what is now being done. And so he could see that through the errors of his brothers and the things that happened in his life that were negative in so many ways, this was part of God's plan to use him in a way that he could never have imagined by becoming number two in the land of Egypt under Pharaoh. What, what, a, what a tremendous blessing this man was, not only to Pharaoh and to his family, but to the whole world at that time, those who would be able to come and get food and whatever. And so God is working in us, and he wants to work through us. And he gets into our minds, and he gets into our thoughts, he gets into our desires, and he's able to develop those things in a way that is unimaginable to us. And, and so we, you know, we see that God is doing things, even through the errors, through the problems, through the difficulties that we face. Maybe the difficulty that we're going through right now is the basis upon which God is going to use me in some future time for the blessing of somebody else. And, uh, you know, I, I've written this book and I've put uh, a number of the difficulties that I've been through in Colombia, for example, the gorillas chasing me for three months, wanting to kill me and all that was involved in that. The death of my little boy in Costa Rica, two-year-old son, just before we were going off to uh, Colombia as missionaries. Uh, that was a real blow. Difficulty, God, God, why did you allow that? Uh, and then when Anne passed away, left me with three children still at home and doing all the work. And obviously he was a time of testing, real testing. And Satan comes in and says, why is God doing this to you? Why, why are you following him? Why don't you just quit? But you know, these, this isn't an option. When we are able to say that God is doing something in us and he wants to do things through us. And then of course, uh, as you know, I moved to the States. I married Susan uh, and we, we had eight lovely years of marriage. But then, uh, four years into the marriage, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Three years later, she was with the Lord and left me with a three-year-old and a five-year-old. Well, you know, uh, God, what are you doing? Why? What is happening here? But then he sent along a kindergarten teacher for my three-year-old and my five-year-old. And I said, I could never have planned that if I'd wanted to. You know, Anne was a linguist. She, uh, she had degrees in, in languages from college. She won a scholarship to get a doctorate in Paris in French. Uh, but she decided to go and, and teach in one of the schools in France for a year and, and so on. Uh, all of those things. But then when we got to Colombia, I, I couldn't have had a person more apt for the work that was going on. We had a publishing work, and I was publishing a magazine every month. And it was going to countries in South America. But who did I have as my proofreader? Somebody who was excellent with language and grammar and all of those things. She understood, uh, she understood the Spanish better than many of the Spanish-speaking people themselves. And she was able to correct all of my little errors. You know, I'm a blundering sort of a person. I'm like a bull in the china shop, as my mother used to say when I was small. And I, I just get going and do things. And uh, if I made a mistake with my language, so what? The people generally understood what I was talking about. But Anne was perfect. She wouldn't say anything unless it was grammatically perfect. Uh, because of her background, she spoke, she, she taught Latin, French, and Greek, and those sorts of things. So she had a good grounding in languages. But then, of course, she passed away, and I had a daughter who had a learning dif difficulty. And she couldn't process the things that she was hearing or even reading. And the result of that was that she had all sorts of funny ideas about many things, including Susan. She thought Susan, who was a, a teacher who uh, was uh, teaching the, uh, the hearing impaired, and so was a, uh, what do you call a special ed teacher. 
uh, and she was able to guide Adriana all the way through her school to, to be able to get a, a diploma at school. Otherwise, she would not have even gotten anywhere near that. She understood the system here in America, all it was involved in. And so the Lord gave a wife who was able to help Audrey get to the point where she could get a good job. And then we know what happened. She got the breast cancer, left me with a three-year-old and a, and a five-year-old. So what did God do? He sent me a kindergarten teacher to look after my three-year-old. I mean, who, who could work out all of this sort of thing? It's not the sort of thing we could plan, is it? So out of my problems, God was I could see God was working. God is doing things. And it wasn't because I'm special. It's just because God was doing something with me. He had his reasons for that. I don't know. Sometimes I think I wonder why he even chose me in the first place. But uh, because of his love and his goodness. And he did challenge me to be committed to him. I made that very definite commitment when I was 15 that I would follow him. And my life was turned around at that point. I made a profession of faith when I was just four and a half years old. But this was confirmed when I was, uh, when I was 15. I made a, a very definite step. I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. And uh, then, uh, you know, I, uh, I was baptized and came into fellowship and got very much involved in the local assembly and all sorts of activities in the assembly, even to helping organize the assembly into the Billy Graham crusade in, in uh, 1959, first crusade in Sydney, double-decker buses to go into the stadium and people getting saved and all of these things. Uh, and now I got married to Anne and everything's going fine, but then one day the Lord said, you know, are you truly committed to me? That was the thought that came into my mind. Are you truly committed to me? or you're just doing your own thing. I had a good job, and I knew I was going to be able to retire at about 55 with a good superannuation. And uh, then I'd be able to go around the assemblies, teaching in the assemblies at my own expense. But nobody would have to put up a penny for me. But, you know, it came to my mind, do you, do, are you really committed to me, or are you doing your own thing? Uh, but I'm very much involved in the assembly. I'm very much in, in, involved in your work. I was even working with Gordon Bennett doing the Overcomer magazine, and all of these sorts of things were going on. And then one day I came out of the office at lunchtime, and here was this hobo picking up cigarette butts in the, in the gutter and smoking the butt end of the cigarette. And it was as though the Lord said to me, that's what you want to do to me. You want to give me the butt end of your life. I want all of it. And that hit me like a sledgehammer, but then it began the whole process of what do you want me to do? Where would you want me to go? Am I willing to leave all that I have and follow the Lord wherever he may lead? And when I could come to that answer, and it took a while to do it, it wasn't just uh, from one day to the next. It was a couple of years in, involved in this process. But I eventually was able to do that, and the Lord spoke very definitely then about, and that's part of the story. I don't want to go into all of that and take up your time. But I ended up in Colombia as a missionary. <coughs> and um, so there we are. So God is able to use the circumstances in our lives, no matter what's going on, no matter how we're living, but if we are committed to him, he will take our lives and he will use us in some way or other. He wants to use us. He only uses people. I mean, there are all sorts of systems, there are all sorts of colleges, there are all sorts of seminaries and things like that. They're all good for learning and studying and so on. But the most important thing is, is my life truly consecrated to the Lord? Am I truly doing what he wants me to do or am I doing my own thing or am I just going through the routine? 
of being involved in a local assembly. 2 Corinthians 7.11 says, See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. Why did they have godly sorrow? Because they were going through an exercise of, of some problem. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. So they'd been challenged and they had to act upon the challenge that they had received. And it was difficult for them, but they did it. And 2 Corinthians 8.16 says, I thank God who put it into the heart of Titus the same concern that I have for you. So you see, God is at work not only in the circumstances that come into our lives and help us to focus upon him and allow him to do what he wants to do in our lives by being available to him. And uh, then when there are situations, well, godly sorrow helps. If there are things that we need to get rid of, we need to have a godly sorrow and, and sort that out and get it right and, and get the field ready for the, for the farmer to actually do the work of producing fruit. And then God puts things into our hearts, as Paul said here t about uh, Titus. I thank God who put it into the heart of Titus, the same concern I have for you. So we need to ask ourselves, do I have a concern for the gospel? Do I have a concern for the lost? Do I really care about all of those people out there who are going to hell? Am I challenged by people we meet day by day at the bank, at the supermarket, at work, or wherever we might be, am I challenged to be able to bring some sort of a message to them and sow a little seed? Now, we don't want to hit them on the head with the Bible. I mean, the Bible's quite a weapon if you use it the wrong way. Uh, don't hit people on the head with the Bible, going over all... No, start off and make friends and become friendly and show yourself friendly to others. And show them that you're interested in their lives. Ask them questions about themselves, uh, and not just preaching at them, but becoming a friend to them. I, I love the example of the Lord Jesus when he was in, uh, in Samaria, you remember? The disciples went off, he knew that they would go off to buy some bread, and then he's sitting by the well, and who comes along but this woman who was of bad fa fame, a woman of the street, if you want to call it that, and she comes along and he says to her, can I have a drink of water, please? I mean, it was just a general conversation. If you read through uh, Acts 4 of the way that the Lord was, uh, sorry, not Acts 4, uh, John, John 4, uh, you, see, you see how the Lord just progressively spoke to her, made a friendship, and showed himself to her as to who he really was. And finally, he said, you know, if, if you knew who I was, you would ask me to give you a drink of water. But you don't have anything to get the water. No, but the water I give you will be water of life. Go and tell your husband. No, I don't have a husband. No, you've got, you've got five, and the one you have the moment isn't your husband. You know, oh man, he's a prophet. No, I'm not a prophet. Who are you? Well, you know we're expecting the Messiah. Well, I am he. And he could say that to her. And she, she was convinced, and she went off, and she went and told people immediately about her experience with the Lord Jesus. And that's one of those interesting things that happens. I, I, I don't know how many people you've seen who are recently saved who just can't keep quiet. They want to talk to people about the Lord. When Alan Tonkin, this, this guy who was a real, I wouldn't say, he was a vagabond, that's a good word perhaps. He was, he was a guy who, who was so far away from anything spiritual. As soon as he got saved and started reading the Bible, he couldn't stop talking to people about the Lord. Why? Because now he had a view of the Lord, of the glory of the Lord, as we were hearing about it uh, at a meeting yesterday.
the glory of the Lord struck him. He understood who the Lord was and he realized what the Lord had done for him and he, he couldn't contain it. He had to speak about it. And, uh, and so, you know, these are things that we, 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 perhaps we get a little, you know, we've known the Lord all our lives and we're getting a bit long in the tooth and, and I don't feel like doing this today. I'm just, but you know what? The Lord has a plan for each one of us. I believe that. And he wants to take us and use us to plant the seed wherever he may want us to plant it. And he will put into your heart the person or the people that he wants you to speak to. Just as Paul could say about Titus, he put it into Titus's heart, the same concern that I have for the Corinthians. And so, you know, the Lord is at work, and that's the wonderful thing. This is just another photo. This is Yorley's house. And uh, these, these are some of uh, her nieces and nephews and a couple of people off the street who've gotten saved. And uh, Centro Cristiano Conquista, that's uh, the conquering, the conquering uh, Christian center. And so um, uh, you can see that they're all bright-eyed young people, and they're going out to do some street evangelism in Barranquilla, up on the north coast of Colombia. She's trained them all, given them ideas about how to speak to people, the right way to approach them. She's uh, been giving them some instruction in all of these things. Uh, we've got these uh, these big uh, notices there. Uh, we, we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you is basically what they're saying there. And as they go down the street with this, they say to people, we would like to pray with you. Can we pray with you? I mean, <laughs> it's not the same message we would always say, is it? But, uh, you know, people would say, yes, please, I need some prayer. I've got problems in my life. And uh, yeah, they're talking, they just go up to people and talk to them. They were getting uh, names and addresses of people who uh, who were interested, who were listening to the message that they presented. And they did some street painting for the kids just to sort of, uh, you, see, you see, the gospel isn't just banging people on the head with verses of the Bible. That, that'll come. You know, there'll be the time when we need to just show the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But you have to start off on the basis of friendship, things that attract people. People that, things that help people to see you are interested in me and, uh, and these kids you can see they're pretty excited about what happened to them down at the park this day and they're just wandering the streets and uh, praying with people as you can see he's got that there That's uh, the guy in the middle is one of the, the, uh, her brothers in law who uh, is taking a lot of the bible teaching in, the, in their little chapel there in the house of Yorley it is actually that's Yorley uh, in the background with the red hat on and, and they're just going out into the streets and finding people who are wandering around and helping them and then not only that on other, another occasion they go out into the streets you have all these Venezuelans who are coming into Colombia they had, haven't eaten for months and, and they're hungry and they're looking for food they're looking for help they're looking for something and so they were able to get some food things from different stores and places, maybe things that were out of date, I don't know. Uh, but they were able to get people to donate things. They put them together in packs for, of food to take around the streets and give to some of these homeless people uh, who are fleeing from the, the problems in Venezuela. You see this little fellow here just tucking into a, f a dinner that he probably hasn't had for a long time. And there's a mother there with a, with a little baby out in the street and this is at night. And uh, these, these ones there, they're, they're so excited and happy. 
because you see the, the green shirts there, they're the people, some of the people working with Yorley. You really want to know that? The condom, the condom doesn't protect your heart. That's one of the messages. <laughs> it says a lot to the kids in Colombia. You might protect yourself from pregnancy, but a condom doesn't protect your heart. It will be broken because of the things that you are doing. She speaks in very plain Spanish to them. And I, I won't say. You know. She says things that sort of uh, made me open my eyes a little bit. But uh, they understood exactly what she was saying. So that's part of the message. We need to be ready to do whatever. And you always not just in the schoolwork. I mean, that, that is big enough itself, isn't it? But she's helping all of these other kids in her family and some of the other people coming into the local assembly that they have there. We need to get out and evangelize the lost. So it's not just a matter of that fantastic work that's going on in the schools. You're going out into the streets and finding people who need the Lord. And it's a bit of a shame on many of us in America. I don't know what happens here in Canada. I imagine it's pretty similar. But you know, we, are we ready to go out and do things that are unusual and different, to reach the lost, to sow a seed? You see, many of these people, they don't get out there and preach the gospel to them. They say, can I pray with you? They ask them what your problems are, and then they'll pray about those problems. And then they'll just say, well, you know, the Lord Jesus loves you. And if there's a response, they would follow through with more. But they're just leaving a seed. They're leaving a seed in the hearts of these people. And it's the Lord who gives the increase. They realize, just like we should realize, we cannot save a single soul. You know, we are called to be those who carry the seed and sow the seed. And then wait and see what the Lord will do with the seed that has been sown. Shining as lights and holding fast. We are and should be like lights in a dark world. China's lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So that's a message for us. We need to be those who are ready to shine in this dark place. This world around us today is a dark place. There are many, many problems around us, many people going through difficulties of life, people who are suffering because of abuses in the homes, and all of these things. And the Lord wants us to be able to reach out to the lost and to sow the seed somehow or other. There's a relationship between the shining as lights and holding fast to the word of life. The one has to do with what we are. We are lights. The Lord Jesus said, you are the light of the world. In other words, we are in a dark place, and even a candle in a dark place gives a lot of light in the, in the surrounding areas. And then uh, the one has to do with what we are as lights in the world. The other as to what we are doing. The word of life in itself and its message is the gospel. And so that's what we should be doing. We should be those who are carrying the gospel. And it may be by our actions, by our living, the way we live our testimony as, as a believer. And we know the saying, actions speak louder than words. And that's true. But that doesn't mean we have to shut up and not say words. We still sometimes have to use words to be able to help people and reach out to them. They may see our lives. But are we ready to speak to them also about the Lord? So faith, 
comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Romans 10.17. Very important word. And then there will be eternal rewards. Verse 16. So that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul said, I really want to arrive in heaven as the winner of life for the Lord. And I want to be ready to receive whatever rewards may be available. Not that he was doing everything for the rewards, but he knew that as we serve the Lord and allow him to work in us and through us, there will be rewards that will last for eternity. Uh, are we like Moses, who are uh, thinking more about a heavenly home, and Abraham and some of these who were looking for that heavenly home uh, and, and keeping our eyes upon that heavenly home, not because we just want to have a, a big reward and crowns on our head when we get to heaven. You know, I remember a time when I was speaking about the five crowns that the scripture mentions in Colombia. One brother came up to me afterwards and he says, if I get all five crowns, have I got to wear the whole lot all the time because it's going to be very heavy on my neck? I said, you don't have to worry about that because in chapter 4 of Revelation it says that we're going to cast those crowns at the feet of the Lord and say, you are worthy because you have done the work. It's not me. It's what you were able to do through me. And that's what we should be thinking about. Are we allowing the Lord to do something through us so that there will be rewards, not for our glory, but for the glory of the Lord himself? That's what is so important. And the Apostle Paul could say to the Thessalonians in chapter 2, 19, 20, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. What did he mean by that? He was saying, you know, when I get to heaven and I see you people there, I don't care about crowns or anything else. I'll be just so excited and so happy to see you as jewels in the presence of the Lord. That will be a glory for me. That will be a hope now that I will see you in glory as those who have come to know the Lord Jesus because I was able to plant a seed and the Lord was able to do his work in your life. And that's the attitude that we can have as well. Allowing the Lord to do what he wants us to do. What we do has eternal value because there will be rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15. And also 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And we know that there will be a fire. There will be wood, hay, and chaff burned up in that fire. But the precious stones will go through that fire, and they will remain for an eternal glory for the Lord Jesus Christ because of what we have done for him in this life here and now. As we work out the salvation... And it's not working for salvation. We have salvation. We're working the field. And as we work out the salvation, we enjoy it. It's living life to the full. And uh, Paul could say to, to Timothy, the life that is truly life. And I can tell you that uh, I have absolutely no regrets about the life the Lord has given me. 